Well, it's a beautiful Sunday, and we've had a great holiday weekend. I hope you have. But we have uh, two special people that are connected with our church that underwent uh, severe strokes this past week. And uh, first of all is Harry Tharp, longtime member of our church, sat right over there all the time, brought his grandkids here, and has served, and history goes way back, and we love him very dearly. And he is in hospice right now at North Kansas City Hospital, and so... uh, uh, we want to remember his family in prayer. They are here and in the in in the city, and and uh, Pastor Bruce has been visiting them, and and so we want to remember uh, their family and remember Harry at this time. And uh, funeral arrangements will be emailed to you. It's very important that you're part of our email list as a church so that you can be alert to these kind of things. So that will be coming out. Um, we would expect this week. And then secondly, our uh, longtime faithful uh, missionary partner and friend Keith Gandy had a stroke and uh, in his neck, and uh, it, it, it was there probably about three or four hours before they got to him. It sounds like uh, his wife, Debbie, uh, reacted very quickly, which was very helpful, and uh, he is recovering. Uh, and he will be in neuro uh, ICU for the rest of this week and then a long-term recovery. Now, there is some good news. There is some movement on his left side, his left face, and, and his arm, and uh, he has spoken a little bit, but uh, we just don't know yet what the long-term uh, uh, damage and, and recovery is going to be for Keith. So we want to be praying for him, for Debbie, and their kids. Again, uh, in your bulletin, if you're not part of our uh, email uh, list. Uh, you can uh, fill out that communication card. If you'll fill that out today, you can get on that list. We're emailing updates on Keith's status, as well as if you'll go, if you're on Facebook, you can go to the, his church in Germany. Their Facebook page is really the the most reliable and the most uh, consistent uh, source for information. In fact, we live in a digital age in which uh, you can even go to their to their Facebook page and you can click on a link and record a three-minute audio message that will be relayed to the family. And so uh, uh, it's amazing what we live in. But though we live in a digital age, uh, tweets and status updates mean nothing compared to prayer. Amen? It is prayer to our loving Heavenly Father who we just sang about. It's our hope in the cross of Jesus Christ at times like this that we can actually make a difference here, though we're praying for someone who is at the hospital or across the ocean. And so we want to go to the Lord in prayer. And before I do, uh, William Law is uh, a man from the 1600s who wrote a great spiritual tract. And I ran across this quote this week, and it just made me think of what we're, we're talking about here on this beautiful Sunday morning, and it was this. If you attempt to talk with a dying man about sports or business, he is no longer interested. He now sees other things as more important. People who are dying recognize what we often forget, that we are standing on the brink of another world. That's a reality we all face, and we need to remember that as we go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come with uh, hearts mixed with, uh, with sorrow and with grief and with uh, sadness, but they're also filled with hope and confidence in you and the gospel that we just sang about, that we're going to preach, and that we are basing our whole eternity on. So we bring before you Harry Tharp, who is about to meet you face to face, and we rejoice that his 
faith in you brings joy to us that we know that he will face his Savior, not because of any religious works he has done, not because of his longstanding membership in this church, not because of just the good person that he was, but because as a sinner he placed his total trust and confidence in you as his Savior who died for his sins, rose from the dead, reigns up on high, and will return and raise him from the dead. It's the hope of the resurrection that we pray for, bring comfort to his family, and may it bring them closer to you. And then, Father, we pray for Keith and Debbie and their family. And we pray, Lord, and thank you that you have spared his life. We pray that you would bring healing power as he is there recovering in ICU and that you would restore to him the ability to minister and to represent you and to live for you. We pray that you would comfort Debbie and the kids as they go through this time wondering what the future holds and that our prayers, even now, would envelop them in your comfort. You're the God of all comfort. May you comfort them with the comfort that we cannot give, with the comfort that reaches into the depths of their heart and the needs of their soul, and may your spirit bring the fruits of the spirit to their hearts. May this be used of you to draw his family, his kids, closer to you. And, Father, we pray for the church. It's, it's planning outreaches, and it's lost its, its uh, point man and key leader. And we pray, Lord, that you would sustain and grow and nurture this church through this time. We know as a church that this can be times to bring us closer to you, and greater fruit can come of it. And so we pray for that, and we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who hears our prayers. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you read for your Bible and stand with me for our scripture reading, turn to 1 Peter. We'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, as Pastor Bruce continues in the summer series, Spirit Fruit. We're looking at the second fruit of the Spirit, joy, and we find our text in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the fruit of your spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us uh, as believers and help us to conform to your will and to express and show the fruit of the spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is a journey. Are you enjoying it? With the fruit of the spirit of joy. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue in our series, our summer series, Spirit Fruit. And we're looking at the spirit fruit of joy, uh, as Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where he says the fruit of the spirit is love, it is joy, and then he goes on to list peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Life is a journey, and God wants you to enjoy it, experience it with his joy. Are we doing that? 
Max Lucado shares the following story in his book, In the Eye of the Storm. I've shared this before in the past, but it's worth repeating. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened the bag. There was little Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and dirt and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits and stares. It's hard not to see why, sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. So let me ask this morning, by way of introduction, like Chippy, the parakeet, have you lost your joy in life? If you've been sucked in, washed up, and blown over by life, if you're struggling to find any joy in your heart, then let me tell you, you've come to the right place at the right time. Because we're going to look at the spirit fruit of joy. You know, joy seems to be one of those elusive fruits for a a lot of Christ followers. And yet joy is a major theme in God's Word. The words joy and joyful occur approximately 250 times in God's Word. And the verb form rejoice occurs about 200 times in the Bible. Now, I don't know what that tells you, but it tells me that God is interested in my joy. In fact, God wants us to experience joy when we not only get to heaven, but He wants us to experience joy right now here on this earth. So why then don't more people have joy in their life? Why don't more Christ followers demonstrate joy in life? Well, I think part of the answer or part of the problem is, is that we've confused joy with happiness. But joy and happiness are really two totally different ideas because if you notice in your notes, each springs from a different source. Happiness is dependent on what happens to me, but joy is fruit produced by the Spirit working in my life. We're happy when what happens to us is good. I'm happy when what happens to me is pleasant, it's desirable. It's the zippity-doo-dah, zippity-dee day, everything's going my way type of feeling. If people treat me good, and if things are going well in my life, then I am happy. Happiness is based on favorable circumstances. And when they change, as they almost always do in life, then we're not happy anymore. But joy is different. Joy is a a fruit of the Spirit that kind of transcends whatever is happening to us at the moment. 
Joy doesn't depend on external circumstances. Joy is not a fair-weather feeling. Joy is a divine dimension of living that is not shackled by the circumstances that we may be going through. Joy is fruit produced by the Spirit in a believer's life. In fact, the Hebrew word for joy means to leap or to spin around with pleasure. And in the New Testament, the word refers to gladness, bliss, and celebration. Is that what you have in life? Is that what you're experiencing in life? Happiness is external. Joy, you could say, is internal because it's produced by the Spirit and it is revealed externally. And there's no way we can manufacture this kind of joy on our own. So how, then, is the spirit fruit of joy attainable in our lives? And how is it possible, even in spite of our circumstances? Well, these are two questions I want to answer this morning. Look at it with me. Number one, bearing the spirit fruit of joy. First of all, joy is attainable by knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Joy is attainable by knowing Christ. Remember that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then what? Joy. So joy is connected to love, which means we cannot know God's joy until we first know God's love through our faith in Jesus Christ. Look what Paul writes in Romans 15, 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This divine grace of joy is produced in our lives by the Spirit the moment we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so, one way to think about joy is that our very salvation in Christ brings joy to our lives. Jesus describes salvation in joyful terms all throughout the Gospels. Jesus describes salvation as a celebration in one of his parables about the Great Supper in Luke chapter 14. If you go to Acts chapter 8, remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8? When Philip led him to know Christ, what was his response after coming to Christ? He went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because salvation brought joy to his life. No wonder Bible scholar William Barclay once said, A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. When you think about all that goes with our salvation, you can't help but feel joy. I mean, think about it. Salvation means your your sins are forgiven by Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. It means you're a member of God's eternal family. It means God no longer sees you, views you, deals with you as a sinner, but He deals with you as a son or daughter. Because now you're part of His family, His eternal family. It means God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And we could go on and on about what salvation brings. Salvation brings joy because it produces hope in our lives. Chris spoke about this hope as he was talking about Harry's impending death. His soon death. And yet there's a hope even in that death, is there not? It's, it's, it was so interesting as I've been seeing Harry going to hospice here this week and meeting with the family and seeing Harry. I, t- I was telling Bill, he has the most peaceful look on his face. The guy looks, he looks awesome. And he's about ready to die. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. And then talking with some of the family members. 
there's, while there's a, a sense of grief because they're losing a father, there is joy in their hearts, even when f- their dad facing death because they know as believers that Harry is a believer in where his future is. That brings hope and joy in our hearts, even in the face of death. Robert Rainey, a Scottish pastor in the 1800s, said, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is resident there. And of course, the king you're referring to is Jesus Christ. So if Christ has taken permanent residence in your heart, then joy can be the permanent fruit of our lives. So joy is attainable in our lives by knowing Christ as our Savior and Lord. And yet, I think most of us here would testify that our own personal experience tells us we can lose the joy of our salvation. Before writing about the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul asked a very heart-penetrating question to the church at Galatia in the previous chapter, chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Wow, that's a great question we still need to ask ourselves even today. Where is your joy? Perhaps your joy has been stolen. So here are three things that will rob you of your joy. Evaluate this. See if any of these three are robbing you, stealing your joy from your life. Number one is an unsatisfied expectations will rob you of joy. Unsatisfied expectations. Do you ever feel like you're just going through some joyless routines in life? If truth were known, some of us are discontent with the way our lives are progressing. It could be that your expectations for your marriage, even for your kids, have not been met. Perhaps you don't have everything you want, such as a better job, a better house, or a better this, or a better that. But I'm convinced that a spirit of discontentment will rob us of our joy. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4.12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I find it interesting that Paul calls contentment a secret. In other words, it was something that he had to learn. It's something we have to learn. And until we learn the secret of being content with what God has given us, our unsatisfied expectations will continue to rob us of our joy. Number two, another joy robber, is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. Our joy evaporates when we allow conflict between ourselves and someone else to go on and on and on. We hurt each other in relationships. Sometimes this happens intentionally. Sometimes this happens unintentionally. It's a fact of life that we misunderstand each other as human beings. We have conflicts with other human beings. And so you're going to get hurt by other human beings, and you're going to hurt others in relationships. And what we do with that hurt makes a difference whether we are joyful or miserable in life. Nothing destroys our joy faster than unresolved conflict because it leads to bitterness. It leads to resentment. In fact, the writer of Hebrews chapter, in chapter 12, verses 15, 14 and 15, challenges us to resolve conflicts before bitterness and resentment sets in and robs us of our joy. Listen to what he writes. He says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We learned last Sunday that uh, on the fruit of the Spirit of love that love keeps no record of wrongs. So if you're still keeping score of all the hurts you've suffered, let me tell you, the spirit fruit of joy will be squashed in your life. But there's a third joy robber, and it's unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin will rob you of joy. This third joy robber is perhaps responsible for stealing more joy out of our lives than any other. And the reason for that is because sin and joy cannot live, they cannot coexist in the same heart. Picture sin as a, as a vacuum cleaner that's kind of just sucking the joy right out of the heart. King David understood this truth very well. After his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then his ensuing attempt to cover it up by murdering his, uh, her wife, Uriah, Listen to what David writes in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, Lord, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I love then how this psalm ends, because after David owns his sin, after he confesses it to the Lord, his joy returns, and he writes now in verse 11, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, seeing all you who are upright in heart. Did you catch that? Man, David was not able to rejoice and experience the joy of the Lord until he confessed his sins. This is why David could now ask God later on in Psalm chapter 51, verse 12, when he asked God, restore the joy of your salvation to me. Now, before we move on, let's kind of just stop here for a moment. And let's ponder, let's think upon these three joy robbers. Let me ask you three questions in relationship. Do you have some unsatisfied expectations that have led you to a spirit of discontentment instead of a spirit of joy? If so, ask God to help you to learn the secret of wanting everything you have and not necessarily having everything you want. When you do, you'll begin to experience joy even in the small things of life. Do you have unresolved conflict with someone? If so, confess it to God. Make plans to meet with that person, to make things right, and to begin to make room in your heart for joy. Perhaps you have unconfessed sin in your life. Listen, don't keep silent about it any longer. It's just going to keep sucking the joy right out of your heart. So confess your sin and ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. So the very first thing we learn here is that the spirit fruit of joy is attainable by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The second truth we learn is that joy is possible despite my circumstances. Joy is possible despite my circumstances. Now, If we were to be honest, this is where most Christ followers get hung up with joy in their life. At this point right here. 
one of the hallmarks of the spirit fruit of joy, believe it or not, is that it can be experienced in the midst of difficult situations and circumstances. Here we find one of the great differences between the joy of the spirit between the joy the spirit produces in our lives and the happiness the world knows only when things are going good. As we learned earlier, happiness is the absence of bad things in our lives, undesirable things such as disappointment, pain, suffering, problems, people, you name it, which means the only way to be happy by the world's definition of happiness is by escaping from those difficult circumstances, running from them, changing them, getting out from under them, which we all know is impossible. And yet, when we turn to God's Word, we find a very different perspective when it comes to joy in trials. In fact, Peter shows us that joy is possible despite my circumstances. Peter gives us two key words that picture the life of a Christ follower. Two key words. In fact, these two key words are small. They're three letters each. Or not three letters each because trials is more five. But it's trials and joy. Trials and joy. Two key words that picture the life of a Christ follower. Peter begins verse 6. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, the text that Zach read for us. Notice what he writes in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. You have been grieved by various trials. Now, isn't it interesting that Peter pictures the Christian life with two words that seem like a paradox? Trials and joy. That's like mixing water and oil. It doesn't mix. They just don't go together. And yet, here in this passage, Peter presents trials and joy side by side. Again, this seems like a paradox. It almost seems impossible. And yet Peter's telling us it is possible to experience joy where it's least expected in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trials. Now, most of us know what trials are through firsthand experience. It's some type of painful experience that, given the choice, we would always avoid if possible, right? You know what I'm talking about. We would never choose it for ourselves. But what is joy? Well, we know that joy and happiness are two different things. We've talked about this. Happiness is conditional because it depends on what happens to me, depends on my circumstances, and it comes and goes depending on the emotions of the moment. But the words, though now, in verse 6, indicate that the joy Peter is talking about is unconditional because it doesn't depend on circumstances surrounding us. That's why happiness tends to evaporate in times of suffering. But joy frequently intensifies in times of suffering. This is why G.K. Chesterton called joy the gigantic secret of the Christian life. And a secret it is. But it shouldn't be to Christ followers. We should be experiencing this. And if we put all this together, we can say joy then is really the ability to face any kind of reality in life, whether that reality is the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, and to face it with hope because God is the source of our joy. Now, seen in that light, there's no contradiction then between trials and joy. 
No doubt this is what makes the life of a Christian so unique in this world. So what's the key then to living joyfully despite our circumstances? Well, James gives us some insight to this when he writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I think this is in your notes. Look at it. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that seems like an oxymoron too, right? A paradox. And then notice the next phrase. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Paul kind of says the same thing, slightly different, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, when he writes, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And then notice the next phrase, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So what's interesting, both James and Paul are basically saying the same thing. And they're emphasizing the same key word. Maybe you caught it. And that word is knowing. Knowing. So knowing is the key to living joyfully despite my circumstances. You may be asking, but knowing what? Knowing that my circumstances stink in life right now and I wish God would change them? I sure know that. Well, that's not what he's talking about. Not that. So knowing what? Knowing two things about our trials in joy. So let me give them to you here. Joy is possible despite my circumstances when I know, first of all, number one, that God refines me with various trials. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to some of us. Maybe perhaps all of us. But knowing this makes all the difference in the world when you're going through trials. Peter tells us why trials come in verse 7. He says, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, don't miss that little word there, that little phrase, so that, at the beginning of verse 7. No word is more helpful to us. In fact, no word is more needed in our lives. The word so that tells us that our trials have a purpose. That God's doing something in our lives through these trials. Listen, they don't just happen by chance or by some random act of faith. There are no accidents for the children of God. Everything happens for a reason. And even though we may not see that reason, even though we may not even understand that reason, we can rejoice if we know that a reason really does exist. That God is using those circumstances for His greater purpose and for my own good. Peter goes on to explain that God sends trials in order to test or refine our faith. That's the reason. That's the purpose. In fact, the phrase refined by fire means to test something in order to prove that it will not fail. You know, it's easy to kind of just mouth certain phrases that make us sound spiritual, godly, when things are going well. But how we respond when life tumbles in around us tells a real story about what we truly believe. And what God does, He wants to prove our faith to us, to our families, 
to our friends, to our church family. He wants to even prove our faith to a watching world. People are watching the way we live. They may not understand what we believe, but they watch us up close and from a distance to see how we as Christ followers are going to respond when hard times come our way. And even if they don't understand it all, they are moved by a Christ follower whose faith remains steadfast, a faith who remains strong in times of trouble. And what it tells them is, hey, that's real. That's authentic. That faith is real. And that draws them perhaps one step closer to Jesus Christ himself. And in this way, God brings triumph out of our trials. We can rejoice in that. Hard times make strong saints. Think of it this way. Before our trials, our faith is unproved. After our trials, our faith is improved. As Warren Wiersbe, great commentator, said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. How true that is. So joy here, we learn from Peter, is possible despite my circumstances. Why? Because I know my trials have a purpose. That doesn't mean I necessarily rejoice because of the trials or rejoice in and of the the suffering and difficulty. And I'm not so much rejoicing in that, per se. I'm rejoicing in the fact that God has a greater purpose for this. He's doing something. He's working in my life. And that purpose is to help me to grow spiritually by testing my faith. Listen to what the British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, who became a Christian before his death, said late in life. I quote his words. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, everything I have learned, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. This is why Martin Luther called adversity the very best book in my library. Would we say that? (laughs) Would I say that? I have a whole library full of books. The best book in my library is the book of adversity. So joy is possible. It's not just attainable, it is possible despite whatever circumstances you may be going through, when you know God refines you with those trials, those difficulties, those problems that you're going through. He's using it for a purpose, for his glory and for your greater good. Number two, though, joy is possible despite my circumstances when I know a second truth, that God replenishes me with inexpressible joy. Go back to verse 6. Peter says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. Rejoice in what? That even though we are facing various trials, we know that God replenishes us with inexpressible joy. Now, how in the world does this happen? Well, look what Peter writes in verses 8 through 9. He says, Though you have not seen him, the him there is in reference to Jesus Christ, So though you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, inexpressible joy comes through believing in Jesus, even though we don't see him in the midst of our trials. 
That's called faith, which is actively choosing to trust God in spite of my circumstances. When everything within me at the moment wants to cry out, God, you're nowhere to be found. You're not working. You're not here. You don't care about me. And faith says, no, I choose to trust you no matter what. But let's be honest. In the heat of trials, it seems as Jesus is not here with us, right? When you're going through it in the moment, you look around, you're like, where's Jesus at? I don't see him. I don't feel him. I don't hear him. Where are you? But Peter is telling us that our Savior is standing alongside of us in the furnace. Jesus is there with us even though we can't see him. In times of trial, we know he is there. And that's one reason we can rejoice with inexpressible joy. Now, strange as it may seem, our trials, listen to this, are actually a sign of God's love for you. What? What what, what are you saying? Did you get that right, Bruce? Did I hear that right? No, trials are a sign of God's love. Some of you may be thinking right now, well, if that's the case, then God must love me a whole lot. Listen, if you find yourself in the furnace right now, be of good cheer. It is your Heavenly Father's love that has put you there. And maybe even, you may even think you're being barbecued by what you're going through in the furnace. If that's the case, then look to Jesus with hope. Because Peter tells us in verse 9 that the final result of our faith is the deliverance of our souls from this world. And that's another reason why we can rejoice with joy inexpressible. Now, as we wrap this up, let's go back to the two key words that we mentioned at the beginning of this point. And those two key words are what? The first word is trials. The second key word is joy. So you've got trials and joy. So how then should we, as Christ followers, view our journey in life? Notice this in your notes, coming up on the screen. Life as a Christ follower, get this, it is not joy, then trials. And it is not trials, then joy. It is always joy and trials at the same time, working together, mixed together, so that it's possible to experience joy in spite of our trials. Listen, it's, it's not by accident that Peter... If you caught this in verses 6 through 9, what Peter does is not by accident that Peter bookends the theme of trials with rejoicing. Did you notice he begins verse 6 with rejoice? And he ends verse 8 with rejoice. So you got verse 6, rejoice. Verse 8, rejoice. And everything in between these verses is what? It is all about trials. This is why David could say in Psalm 34, 8, after mentioning his fears, after mentioning his trials, he writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Indeed, his mercies endure forever. But most of us only discovered that truth in the furnace. 
like the three Hebrew children of Daniel 3, when we are cast into the furnace, suddenly we discover the fourth man is right there with us, and that fourth man is Jesus. But get this, the reason, the reason some of us have never discovered the truth that Peter's talking about here, the truth that joy and trials can work together, go together, be mixed together, be experienced in spite of trials. The reason some of us never discover that in our life as a Christ follower is because we fight God at the point of our trials. We run from them. We want to get out from under them. We blame others, we blame God, and we fight God on it. But joy and trials come together in God's plan for Christ's followers. There is no inexpressible joy without trials that goes with it. So let me encourage you here. As I try to encourage myself with the same thing, stop fighting with God. Stop complaining. Stop blaming others and start letting God do His work in your life and you will begin to experience joy despite your circumstances. You know, the greatest contradiction in the world is a joyless Christ follower. Once when Martin Luther was going through a period of depression, his wife Katie came into his study and she was just decked out in all black. I mean from head to toe. With her face covered with even a black veil. Martin Luther looked up from his study and asked her, man, who died? She said, God died. Well, Luther responded, oh, silly woman, God hasn't died. And she said, oh, I thought by the way you were acting that God had died. She simply wanted to remind him that Jesus is alive and God is still in control. It worked. Martin Luther left his pity party and began to rejoice again. Let me ask you, what about you? Are you experiencing the spirit fruit of joy? Like the video we watched in the beginning, are you having a joy ride as you journey through life as a Christ follower? Are, or are you having a joyless ride as you journey through life? Listen, joy is attainable when you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. So perhaps the very first question we really ought to ponder here is the question, do I know Jesus Christ personally? Do I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord? Because that's when joy begins. Salvation brings joy. And joy is not only attainable when you know Christ. Folks, listen to me. When you know Christ, when you become a Christ follower, we should expect trials. But that doesn't mean the end of our joy. Joy is possible despite our trials as Christ followers. When you know that God is using those trials to refine your faith, and when you know that God will replenish you with His joy, because the spirit fruit of joy is produced not by what happens outside of us, it's not manufactured by what we can do, it is produced by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So are you a joyful Christian or a joyless Christian? Let's pray.
You know, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is joy, and that means joy is not something you can manufacture on your own. You just can't work it out. As we've already said, joy is the result when you invite Jesus Christ to live in you and through you. When you admit your need as a sinner and trust Jesus as your Savior, then you can begin to experience the spirit fruit of joy no matter what the circumstances may be in your life. So let me encourage you to know the joy of the Lord by first knowing the Lord of joy. And you can do that right now by expressing your heart's desire in prayer. You can cry to God with something like this, a prayer that simply expresses to your heart that says, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I repent of my sins, and I want to receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life so I can experience your joy in my heart. Listen, you can express that. Those words right there in our response time. Kirk's going to sing in a moment here, and as he does, if you have yet to know Christ, then come, know him. He wants you to enter into his family. He wants you to know the joy that he offers you. Others of you know the Lord, but perhaps your circumstances are stealing your joy. Maybe you just need to be honest with God. Maybe some of these joy robbers are affecting you. Whatever the case is, let me encourage you to do business with the Lord as Kirk sings. Without 